If you have a Bible, you might turn to Acts chapter 10, Bible, Bible app, doesn't matter. Uh, the scriptures will be used uh, from those rather than up on the board. Uh, so I would encourage you to turn there. I want you to know that God does not do things by accident. Everything he does has a purpose. And so when we read things in the Bible, we know that he intends to put those things in the Bible. There was a reason all of those things are there for us to learn and to study and to know the will of God, to know his character, to know who he is, to know how he deals with mankind. And so when he directed the Holy Spirit to present to us certain people, he meant everybody. There's a reason that everybody's in there. And it was by design. And this evening we're going to look as just as a company that presents a movie wants to, you to know that they're behind that, that they're supportive of that. They want you to know that they're, they're the ones behind all of that. Tonight, the Holy Spirit is going to present to us an individual by the name of Cornelius. And again, we find his message or his story in Acts chapter 10. To just look at who he was in verse number 1 of Acts chapter 10, it says there was a certain man at, in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. First thing you need to know about this man is that he was a Roman. He was not Jewish. In no way was he a Jewish. He was a Gentile in every which way. But he had the respect to the people. We'll talk about that more as we go along. Even the Jews uh, had a lot of respect for him. But he was a Roman, but not only that, he was a military leader. He was someone who had the command of other people. He had the charge to other people, and they looked up to him, and they had to respect him as an authority because he was an authority. Not only would he have been an authority there but, uh, to, the, to the army, but he had the most powerful army in the world behind him at the time. That's who he was. And he was... Obviously, as we'll discuss, he was obviously very influenced by Judaism. There was something about their people, the people that belonged to God at the time, that he was influenced by them, that they saw, he saw what they did, and he was influenced by that greatly. So what kind of a man was he? We're introduced to him in verses two, 1 through 4. So verses 2 through 4 go beyond this, that he was a military leader, that he was a, a Roman centurion. It was more than that. I want you to look at how the Holy Spirit describes this man. It's incredible. He says of, of him, oh, sorry, of Cornelius, Cornelius, first of all, that he was devoted. He was a devout man. Secondly, it says of him that he feared God. We not only see that he feared God, but he feared God with all his house. So not only did, did he fear God, but he was such an influence on his household. And his household could have been his wife, could have been many wives, I don't know. It, it could have been his children, probably was. But it certainly also included the servants that served under him as a Roman military leader. He influenced all his house. So he was a great leader in that way, wasn't he? He was a giving man. 
He was known for helping the poor and giving to the needy. He prayed always. He was a prayerful man. I don't know. There's a few things that I would hope that the Holy Spirit would say about me if it was to write something. Prayed always might be one of them. He was, a, he was someone who prayed always. When they described him later on, some of the men described him as a just man. He was a fair man. The Jews would describe him as a fair man. He was kind to people. He dealt fairly with people. That's the kind of man that he was. That's who this man Cornelius is. Do you match up to that? Is that who you are? It's a pretty good guy, isn't it? Now, just looking at this list, I think, you know what? I've got one daughter, and if she could find one man to marry, I would hope it'd be this guy. He's that good of a guy. And that's not just anybody saying that. That's God saying that. That's how impressive this man is. He's a good old boy. Very moral, very devout, very faithful in his service to God and his service to others. He cared about people. I think we can safely say when it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and the second is likened to it, to love your neighbors yourself, that was this guy. That's the kind of person that he was. But you know, as he was this way, he was told in a vision to send for Peter so that Peter could come talk to him. Because there was something that wasn't right here with Cornelius. So the angel appeared to you. Oh, I forgot about this. The good reputation. He had a good reputation. So the angel appears to him and says, I want you to go to Peter. Or send for Peter so that he comes to you. So Peter does that. He, he has a very interesting vision himself. He sees this sheet being lowered. And on this sheet are all kinds of different foods that as a Jew he would have been condemned to eat. This, this uh, afternoon I was fortunate enough to go to a restaurant where they had bacon. And it really was, I, and I'm not exaggerating here just because it's bacon. It was good bacon. It was really good. I like bacon. I couldn't as a Jew. And I don't know if bacon was on there on that sheet or not, but it was different types of foods that Peter would not have been allowed to eat. I like catfish too. I, you wouldn't be allowed to eat catfish as a Jew. All these foods were spread out before him and God said, eat. And Peter said, I can't eat those. That's unclean. And so in the vision, God says, what I call, what you call common, don't call it, what do I call good, don't call unclean. It's good for you to eat. And then he wakes up and there's these guys that are standing there and says, hey, we want you to come visit with Cornelius. So he goes on to Cornelius. Now, as Peter is describing to the Jews later on the account that happened, that's chapter 11, he begins to tell them everything that had happened because they doubted whether or not it was okay for Peter to even go talk to Cornelius. <coughs> Excuse me. And so he goes to tell this story again to them. And he says, the Holy Spirit says in Acts chapter 11, 
that he told those things in the order that they happened. So Acts chapter 10 is the story, and then Peter rehearsed it from the beginning as things progressed. So as the angel comes to him and tells him to talk to him, what is told of him is that he is going to have to go and tell him words by which you and all your household will be saved. That's what he says to Cornelius. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Cornelius is a good guy, isn't he? A very moral person. A person that we would look up to. A person that we would set as a standard in most situations. But he was not saved. He wasn't right with God. That's why Peter had to go talk to him. So he could teach him the words whereby he can be saved. <clears throat> Devotion and sincerity, they don't save. You can be devoted. You can be devoted to the wrong thing. That's part of the problem. But just being devoted and just being sincere about something. You hear people talk about those types of things all the time, don't you? Well, they're sincere about what they do. Okay? Sincerity doesn't save. Devotion doesn't save. That's obvious with Cornelius, isn't it? That's why Peter had to go talk to him. Fearing God alone does not save. It won't do it. It's got to be motivated. It's got, the, the fearing God has to motivate us to actually do what God has called us to do. So just being fearful or respectful of God, that doesn't do it. The demons believe and what? Tremble. They fear God. But it doesn't lead them to obedience. So having fear of God does not in and of itself save. It's got to motivate to more. Being a good leader of your home, being a good husband, being a, a good boss or employer or manager, being a good father does not save. There have been lots of good fathers, lots of good husbands that had no direction from God whatsoever. That's not how they led their family. And so that alone doesn't save. You can give all you have to the poor and it won't be enough to save you. You can't pay for your salvation by giving it to others. Won't work. Didn't work for Cornelius. Prayer does not save. It certainly didn't save Cornelius, did it? And he prayed always. Being a good person, just being a fair person with people and your dealings with people, that's not what saved him. And having a good reputation among people is not the same thing as having a good reputation with God. It won't save you. So Peter had to be sent to pray. Now something that's interesting about this is that he had a very religious experience here. He talked with an angel. <laughs> I don't, I'm not looking for a show of hands. I hope I don't get any anyway. Have you ever talked to an angel? <laughs> you might have unawares. We'll leave that to Hebrews. But he had a, a spectacular religious experience. Not only that, as, as Peter began to talk, before he got to say anything, the Holy Spirit came down and they started speaking in tongues. I had another religious experience, but he had yet to be saved. A religious experience like that, miraculous even, 
That's not what saves people. You may be a devoted person. You may be very sincere about what you do. You may have remembered this awesome religious experience, whatever that was, and you pray to God always. That doesn't mean you're saved. There was something Cornelius needed to know that would save him. And so that's what Peter comes to do. And you wonder, well, why in the world would Peter do that? Why not the angel? Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> Get that out of the way. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's notice verses 6 and 7. There it says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. See, what God has done is he has taken the power of the message of the cross and he's put that in earthen vessels. He has given the responsibility to each and every one of us to go out and to preach the gospel. His plan was not so everybody would have a religious experience, that they would be moved from the inside out, that there would be whispers of God in their ear, nothing like that. It's up to us to preach the gospel. That's always been the plan. It's our treasure to share. And so Peter goes to share that treasure. <clears throat> when I was uh, in the ninth grade, I had a really good algebra teacher. And I remember when we did these... Uh, <clears throat> Equations. I can't remember the name. And I probably can't really even tell you. I'm glad Dustin's not here tonight. Not really, but I'm glad he's not here to hear this. Because uh, I, I couldn't remember how exactly to do it, but I do remember this. Did you take the first number and you draw a, an eyebrow over to this number, and then you take the next number and you draw an eyebrow to the next number, and then on the end, just below that, you draw a little nose, and then you draw a little smiley face. <clears throat> and that's how I learned how to do these equations was with this smiley face. <clears throat> well, later on, I take college uh, algebra. I, I ended up dropping it, um, but I did take it. Uh, and one of the problems was they said to perform FOIL. What is FOIL? I don't know what that is. Give me a smiley face. <laughs> That's what I know how to do. Now, foil is the smiley face. It's first outside, inside, last. It's just eyebrows and nose and a mouth. I mean, it, it works. And that's how she taught us. Here's my point. It was the same thing, but it was about learning the proper way to do those types of equations. And the method was to do it this way. And sometimes uh, we need to learn to do it just that way. The Holy Spirit has given, or God has given us, this treasure in earthen vessels and he wants us to draw the eyebrows and the little nose and the smiley face so that we carry out his will so that we do it properly when people sit and they wait for that emotion for that moving experience for the angel to talk to him or for the whisper in the ear the burning in the belly they may be waiting forever for nothing that's going to happen cornelius had that kind of experience and it didn't do him any good. 
What did him good was hearing words whereby he might be saved. And that is where we will begin again as we look back to Acts chapter 10 now. But let's pick up in verse number 34. And this is where Peter begins to talk to him. Acts chapter 10 and verse number 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, that word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we're going to stop right there for just a moment and notice what he's saying there. God's intention in sending Jesus and what he is preaching to Cornelius, and perhaps to all those that were around him there as well, to the Jews, is that what Jesus came to do was to bring peace. To bring Gentile and Jew together. That they would be united not under the Jewish banner, but under the banner of Jesus Christ. That all that would, could be forgiven, that all that could be led by Jesus Christ would be one and would be at peace. He goes on. <clears throat> In verse number 39. And we are all witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but the witnesses chosen before by God, even to those who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. So here he begins to preach about Jesus and how that he died, and that death for the suffering of mankind to take upon the sin of the world that he would die on that tree. But he was also victorious over death and that he would be raised again. Death has no dominion over Jesus Christ because he was raised from the dead. <coughs> and so Peter begins to lay this groundwork of the salvation that could come to the house of Cornelius because that salvation is through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he preaches Jesus to him. It makes sense that he would do that, wouldn't he? That is the treasure that was in the earthen vessel that he shared with him. As we continue on, <clears throat> it says, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who is ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission of sin. See, that's the point. What was Cornelius needing salvation from? He was needing salvation from sin. And that's why all these other things don't work. Just being devout doesn't work because there's something that he's done that has caused him to be guilty before God and that hasn't been taken care of. Prayer cannot remove sin. It's an avenue of communication with God but it does not guarantee salvation and will not guarantee salvation. Because that cannot take away sins. Doing enough good deeds, doing enough 
being fair enough with all people. That doesn't say because it cannot take away sins. So he preaches Jesus. Why? Because it's when we believe on his name, when we believe in Jesus and his power to take away sins, he can take away sins. The power of the gospel is in what Jesus did, not in what anybody else does. That's not where the power is. And so it's putting our confidence in Jesus and not in how good we are. Cornelius was a good man. He was not good enough and couldn't be. Because as long as we have sin, we need remission of sins. So we continue, as we continue on, notice verse, uh, down to verse 47, because the Holy Spirit uh, is said to have come there and to uh, perform miracles or allow them to perform miracles just like they did in Acts chapter 2. So we have the entrance of the church in Acts chapter 2 as the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues. <clears throat> that was to introduce the church to the Jews. Now the church is being introduced to the whole world and it's through Cornelius and his family. And we see and they recognize that through the same outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But in verse 47, he says, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Can anyone forbid water? He's asking the Jews, can anyone forbid water? That he can't be baptized? Let's turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, you want to begin there in verse number 26. There it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What did he come to preach? He came to preach the peace that Jesus brings between Jew and Gentile. How do we access that peace? We become one in Christ Jesus. We become family with each other through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not the blood of our, in our veins that draws us together. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us family. And because of that, there's not Jew there's not Greek or Gentile. There's not Roman. There's not black or white. There's no colors. There's no races. No male or female. We're just family. That's the peace that Jesus brings. And we access that when we become children of God. And we become children of God when we're baptized. So who can forbid water? They didn't. They didn't forbid water because that was the peace that brought them together being under and one in Christ Jesus. They then were told to be baptized. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 2, we'll begin there in verse number 11. There he says, In him... You were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands 
by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. And so he recalls what baptism is and this idea of what Jesus did when he died and he was resurrected. And that power that is there. And so he, he's talking to us about having that kind of a faith and that kind of a working of God. That Cornelius was commanded, he and his household were commanded to be baptized to put their confidence in God. You know, the King James renders the word working there as operation. And I want you to think for just a moment that <clears throat> if a doctor had told you that you had cancer and you go to that doctor and that doctor says, we need to remove it. And so they say, we need to perform surgery so that that cancer could be removed. You go to the doctor and you put your confidence in them, you put your trust in them so that they can perform the surgery. Your confidence is in the doctor. It's not in you going and laying on a table, is it? You're not doing anything in that act. You're submitting to the doctor. When we are going to God in baptism, we are submitting to him. We are saying to God, in effect, work on me. Remove this cancer of sin from me. Perform the work that you do. And it's through the burial, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives it that power. So that's the faith that we need to have. That's the confidence that we need to find in Jesus Christ. And let's look also in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. To what end? He mentions it there also in that passage in Colossians 2. But to what end? Acts 2 and verse 38. says, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here he tells us that the very reason that anyone would be baptized is for the purpose of the remission of sins. It's sin that keeps us in violation of the relationship with God. And so something has to happen to remove that sin, to remit that sin. And it's in baptism. So we put our confidence in Him and what He can do, that He can perform the surgery and forgive us of our sins. <clears throat> Tonight, if the Holy Spirit were to write something about you, what would he say? Would he say that you are devout? That you fear God? That you fear God with all your house? Would he say about you that you are a giving person, that you pray always? Are you this good? That's what I'm asking. Would you describe yourself as a good person? And if you did, are you this good? Is that how God would describe you? As good as Cornelius? The fact of the matter is, the Holy Spirit, or through Peter, 
told him he still needed Jesus. He commanded him to be baptized in the name of the Lord. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter what kind of religious experience you had. It doesn't matter how often you pray. All that matters is that you have Jesus Christ. And if you've not obeyed him in, in, in baptism, you don't have him. You're not saved. And let me tell you something. <clears throat> No one here is going to forbid water this evening. You can have it. Salvation is yours. The command and the invitation is yours. If you need to obey the gospel, please come forward and sit on the front as we stand and as we sing.